I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Artificial intelligence. It's going to take our jobs. Of course, we've heard that before. When we just find something else to do, and could that mean AI is good for growth and GDP will never have looked better or not? Today, we map out the impact of AI and what we can do about it. Or should we just embrace it? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Well, artificial intelligence is everywhere, it seems, except perhaps in, in Parliament, where there's not a lot uh, intelligence. Or natural, or, or, for that matter. But it's a lot, of, a lot of artificiality there, perhaps. Mm, that's true. You've got, uh, the, got the first half right. But AI, as it's called, is helping us drive our Tesla cars. It's, mm. uh, it's answering our questions masquerading under the name of Alexis or Siri. It's providing customer support services. It's uh, driving uh, all of us along that function of, you know, on Amazon. You know, if you like this, then you're probably going to like this. Just after you bought a chair, they give you all the advertisements for chairs. Yeah, I really enjoy that. (laughs) It's it's even, well, no, I mean, it's a bit smarter than that. It's never you bought a chair, it says, well, maybe you you cushions. Yeah, yeah, cushions, or you need a book to read on it Mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's figuring out how we heat our homes. But this is just, of course, the tip of the iceberg. So is it just adding value? Or will it take our jobs away? Steve, it has to take our jobs away, doesn't it? Yeah, well, um, this is if you look at, for example, how many jobs do we have in agriculture these days, the answer is almost none. Mm. I think like about, I think the percentage of the population that actually works actively in agriculture these days in most advanced economies is of the order of 1% of the population. If you go back um, 150 years or 200 years, it's 70% of the population, no. something of that scale. So uh, what happens, those jobs disappear, but other ones are created yeah. and this has always been the argument that there's any technology will lead to uh, new uh, industries which replace old industries so people displaced from the old industries find jobs in the new industries and that's generally speaking that's been correct yeah okay, okay so it's it's a long-term trend uh, but if you look at I mean if but you, does it create also create more jobs though? So that's the so the argument from the World Economic Forum from a couple of years ago. They mm. said robots are going to displace seventy five million jobs globally by mm. twenty twenty two, but create one hundred thirty three million new ones because we'll need more data analysts or data analysts, more software developers. Uh, they say so, social media specialists. Do we really need more of those? Mm. But I guess you know if we've got uh, the smarts that's enabling us to do more, then. <laughs> Potentially, it could create more jobs. Well, see, it's also partly uh, what skills are necessary to take the jobs which are displaced by these new technologies. And uh, if, if you go back to the original um, uh, person arguing uh, for a form of displacement over time, um, it's sort of Marx in a way because he argued that uh, as capitalism developed, there'd be an increase in the ratio of machinery to labour and that uh, because he believed labour was the source of all profit, then there'd be a decline in the rate of profit. And this is one of the many wrong-headed notions in Marx uh, that... that uh, uh, was fallacious and it, it talked about a dividing society into two 
opposing classes. So there's some beautiful phraseology in the Communist Manifesto, which I, you know, if I had a copy here, I could mm. quickly look. I it thought up. you always had a copy in your back pocket. Yeah, right? that's true. Yeah, yeah, the little red, the red flag that I carry <laughs> around all the time. Yeah, um, but it, it, it was a statement about capitalism reduces. Uh, 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 just sort of desanctifies all professions. Everything gets reduced to a common lowest common denominator, and you get divided into an extreme class: the, the bourgeoisie who are incredibly wealthy, and uh, a proletariat that's incredibly poor. Mm. And what actually happened instead over the following hundred and well, how long is it now? Eighteen eighteen seventy four. So coming up to one hundred and fifty years uh, over the one hundred and fifty year period, what you have is an enormous expansion in the bureaucracy. Uh, because to, to manage these capitalist enterprises and to manage the state as well, you needed a huge number of people mm. carrying out clerical jobs. And uh, the, the scale of middle management uh, is, is enormous in you know, any any capitalist organisation. They are those jobs that would disappear. I mean, this that is, this is the thing. Gonna, this yeah. is the thing. So 150 so, years on, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he yeah. might be right, perhaps. Because yeah, if, you, like, if you think about uh, back – I mean, but partly there's this whole question of a hierarchy too, by the way, which I really want to keep in mind because, you know, I'm a great fan of the work of Blair Fix. Mm. Um, and Blair um, has given a brilliant explanation for one of the sources of inequality, particularly the high wages of C. CEOs compared to the to, to workers, so CEOs earning you know hundred north of a hundred million a year type levels, uh, is not because they're that productive. It's because they're in a hierarchy. And if you just imagine having a triangle, uh, and you start with a, a very small firm, you've got one boss and two employees, and then you expand it, and you've got one boss and two vice presidents who have two employees each, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And as it expands, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the enormous salaries occur at the apex of the triangle, and the triangle's incredibly broad. And then you've got the whole middle management who do nothing at all except right. look after their There's, jobs. So what's actually happening with a lot of AI is going to eliminate that yeah. middle management. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's what I think is one of the two things. Which so is, is it going to be the middle management or is it going to be the people at the bottom? Or is it going to be a bit of both, isn't it, really? Yeah, well, the robots are the people at the bottom. Yeah. Kind of like, and that's one thing that Musk has learned uh, to his cost initially. Uh, that we're not anywhere near at the point where robots can take over all those functions. Mm. So, um, there's, there's one uh, fascinating article in the New York Times that I used as, as part of a, article, a paper of mine in the Journal of Ecological Economics on the role of energy in production. And that was uh, an interview with a, a small town uh, with, a air con- with an air conditioning manufacturing business. And they were interviewing the people about the jobs they had. And one woman there, her job was to, Im- to insert a tweezer-like device into each of the air conditioning units as it went past. And what that tweezer-like device was, was you know, effectively a, a temperature measurement. Okay, that It would expand and contract, and that would tell you what heat levels are being put mm. through the machine. I the re- bet she was really good at it after a while. And she said, you don't have to like your job to get paid. That was her. Mm. Okay. But my point was, if, you, if it was worth the while of the firm to make a robot which could put that tweezer in there. They would have done it. They would have done it. The thing yeah. is, it's such a trivial part of the overall manufacturing process. Uh, but at the same time, to get a robot to do it is incredibly complicated. So the investment costs just weren't worth it. Right. So consequently, that's that's the human job. But that will change. Right? That will change. Because yeah. when you get to the stage of robots which uh, have all the neural network software, which is part of where, what AI is actually about, who can look at something using visual sensors and realize that's where the tweezer has to go. Mm. And if the machine is one millimeter 
if, if when it stops, it's just one millimetre out of alignment, uh, then it, currently a robot will try to insert the tweezer through the metal, outside metal, which won't work. But one which got the intelligence said, well, the actual object I'm supposed to insert it to has moved to here. That's the point where the thing needs to go in. Then I put it inside there. And then when you redesign the uh, air conditioning unit and it moves 10 centimetres, uh, the robot can be shown this, you know, look at it, this is what you're trying to find, that's where you put it. So, so she it's the flexibility of human mind. Yeah, that, that's that, even for something that seems relatively simple. It's like incredibly that. complicated. But it, but yeah. it's uh, but I'm sure she doesn't see it as complicated. I'm sure she's bored, stupid yeah, with her job. Yeah, that's right. You're thinking of some other thing at the time as you're doing it. You, know, you, you get into automatic mode, and the thing is, if to get com- uh, robots to the stage where they can have that degree of flexibility is incredibly complicated. And you've got to have people doing. You know, they used to call them CNC, computer computer controlled numerical. Uh, CN, I forgot what the actual initials, but computer-controlled numerical systems. And you had to have a programmer to reprogram every time. Mm. And that's a huge amount of work. Uh, and often with with a tiny task in a manufacturing process, it simply isn't worth it. So Musk tried to totally automate the Tesla factories and then found that some things like you know placing the seats inside the car was just too damn difficult for debt robots to get it right. Yeah. So back to humans again. But as this technology improves, it will get to the point. We're sort of getting onto that third stage, isn't it, really, yeah. where we go from machine learning to sort of deep learning, which is what speech recognition is, down to sort of the neural network type approach. Well, see, the, all of the, a lot of this, I don't know how much of AI is neural network, but a lot of it is. I mean, there's other, other concepts that can be used as well. And as, I mean, uh, neural networks, uh, an easy task like recognising Times New Roman characters and then translating that into text in your computer from being a scanned image at 300 by 300 DPI, um, that's fairly easy. I mean, I've, I've just as an illustration of my own students 20-something years ago, I wrote a very, very basic uh, neural network which was to recognise whether you had a C or an A, mm. okay? And what, what was it? You have a three-by-three three square and uh, a, a, a C or a U, okay? Right. Now, C just goes that way. You know, the, 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 the hole in the C is is horizontal. With the U, the hole in the, in the U is vertical. So all you have to say, you, you, the way you train a neural network, well, they, they call them back-propagation networks. Um, so you, you, you show it an image, it then randomly has a random set of weights as what what it whether it scores uh, a dot being filled in or not filled in as indicating a particular character, and it'll just say it's a U, and you say no, it's actually a C. So you've got to go back and change the weighting you give to each of those nine squares, and then over time, ultimately, you know, with about twenty or thirty iterations, it, each time it say that's a C, that's a U, given that particular characteristic, and that's that's the basic idea of a neural network. What's happened is. A dramatic, and I don't know, I haven't actually tried to code any of the more recent ones, though my programmer Russell Standish does this in his sleep virtually. Um, you have to, you have such a degree of complexity of the sensory information coming in, and the, the array, the, the, what, what does the work in a neural network is the stages in the program between the input of the data and the output and they have what they start off with is all these connections mm. between layers so like me let's say this like with my little like, like a connections in our brain it's, yeah exactly yeah. that's mm. what that's the whole idea is based on so if you think about um your brain what is actually going on inside there is I, th- I, for- I, th- it's I forget it's 100,000 million neurons, something as enormous as that, right. each of which is potentially connected to 10,000 other neurons. Mm. And then a signal will go along uh, the what's called the axon. Uh, so you have a, a set of the den- dendrites, yeah. axons, and the, and, the neural, and, the, and the neuron itself. A signal will, the spike of a signal will come along. 
and I, I, you know, I've forgotten the medical terminology, so I'm not going to make some mistakes here. But so it comes along with the dendrite or along the axon, uh, causes the neuron to send a spike, which is actually a, a potassium ions up to the uh, to the dendrites. They go across you know ten thousand potential connections, and they then there's a fire signal from those to those ten thousand neurons, and that goes on and on and on. And what actually happens with the development of intelligence over time uh, is actually a pruning of how many connections are there. Mm. So you have a baby's brain; it's virtually everything is connected to everything else, and then you get fairies at the bottom of the garden syndrome out of child's minds thinking. As they mature and become more intelligent. Uh, in terms of being able to assess the outside world in a rational way rather than fairies at the bottom of the garden type beliefs, they get pruned. Mm. And so the same process applies with the neural network. The weights get reduced for some things, increased for others. Right. And that what's what's happening, we're, we're slowly emulating that same capability of the brain. So that technology almost certainly would be able to say, well, okay, let's figure out how we can put a thermometer into uh, the same slot. And yeah, this, that's right. But, yeah. This but, all- the, but the thing in, in terms of how much brain power we're talking about in AI right now, mm. um, it was a, again, I've been told this by colleagues, so I don't know the precise numbers, but a, a, a computer uh, scientist uh, research project attempted to simulate one well known part of the brain with a supercomputer array. And that supercomputer array, which is enormous, I mean, we're talking rooms full of computers. A huge amount of data being passed to and fro was simulating about one percent or half of one percent of the brain. So the scale that you need right now to cover what the human brain can do, uh, AI is trivial compared mm. to what the human brain is capable of. But the thing is, AI is brilliant at pattern recognition because if you, once, once you give it a set of uh, patterns and it learns patterns and learns patterns and learn patterns, it can remember the patterns in a sense in the way the humans forget them. Yeah. So that's that's where the the power of AI comes from, but. Um, what it, it, over time? So, of, you know, it's only going to get better. Yeah, over time. and what it means is for a medical diagnosis, you go and see your doctor, mm. and your doctor might have knowledge of you know might have learned say two hundred potential diseases at university, and have a and end up by the time they're in practice, the experience with their patients, knowing about thirty or forty, and then pattern recognition out of that will come up with a suggestion. But the obscure thing they learnt way way back in in medical school might have gone. Well, it's still there in terms of the neural networks' weightings, and it, it, you can now get diagnosis done. Uh, it will, so so yeah. what does it, getting back to the question then, yeah. what does this do for jobs? So well, what, what I think it means so, is- let, yeah. let me say a couple yeah. of yeah. couple of yeah. perspectives yeah. on this, and yeah. then you yeah. can tell us where you sit. So Andy Haldane, chief economist at the Bank of England, mm-hmm. thinks it's a, a bad thing. He said large swathes of people will become technologically unemployed with the hollowing out of the, of the jobs market, rising inequality, social tension, and many people struggling to make a living. But, you know, on, on the other side, and, and mm. well, maybe it's maybe it's the same side, you mm. know, the, this argument that, that there are going to be those extra jobs created, but they are going to be no, the I, jobs I'm, I'm created. Actually, in, I agree. I agree. The, sort of the inputting of the inputting of it, which still means, of course, you know, you've got to be fairly smart. The jobs which are going to be cognitive jobs rather yeah, than... Yeah, that's we, right. I don't think Andy's right on that front because when you look at uh, what happened, like if you've got people displaced from work, as, as, as uh, peasants or as uh, agricultural workers, then they got jobs as, uh, as clerks mm. filing in companies or they got jobs as, indo- as process workers. Um, now, the process worker jobs are going as the robots get more flexible and once you have a, a robot which can be uh, not just trained but like have an own, its own sense of intuition about the shape of an object that it has to insert components into uh, and can sort of self-train. And that's what often happens now. Because literally, a human does it, the robot watches, and then the robot takes over and, and the training is completed when the robot does what the human does. Um, 
that that stuff is going to wipe out the process line work. Then you look at the uh, middle management stuff. I mean, uh, uh, thankfully, uh, management is really good at producing garbage software and, and, and stuffing up stuff, and meaning you don't actually improve by getting rid of the humans and putting a computer in the way. And, you know, the old saying to her is human, to really fuck up takes a computer. <laughs> um, I've seen plenty of examples no, I don't of that. Think I, I can't manage it all by myself. But that layer, you will hollow out that yeah. bureaucratic layer. And with that, those middle management jobs do go. Yeah. And then what else can you do? And the answer answer is well, in nothing. the short term, well, maybe nothing at all because all you've been l- learnt is 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 how to talk management twaddle uh, mm. rather than living in the real world. Mm. But do you think people are some people are intrinsically smarter than other people, or is the question of opportunity where does it come from? No, it's a bit of both. I mean, like the. Um, yeah, the, 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 this is the old uh, nature versus nurture debate mm. about where intelligence comes because it, from. Because if we, if we assume that we all have got the same brain, so we all sort of start in the same place and we just end up in, in different places, uh, then, you know, those manual jobs. So, I mean, that woman who's who's putting those thermometers in, mm. I mean, if you're looking for self-actualization through work, she's not going to be getting that, is she? No. Uh, whereas, you know, in, in in different circumstances, maybe she would be doing something far more rewarding. Maybe she would well, be I using think, I think brain. this brain. My feeling is that... I mean, along also with the the energy question, which I which is when I see when you have a choice of do you have a machine or a human uh, doing a particular task, uh, often in terms of certainly in manufacturing, it comes down to how much energy is needed to get a job done mm. and what intelligence do you need to direct that energy. Now, if you're looking at like process workers. Uh, you you have to have enough intelligence to be able to be trained to say this is you connect that wire to this wire where you put this device in in that position in a machine and for at the moment robots in general can't be that flexible they can be built for a particular purpose but not retrained for a different purpose and of course when you, when you if you're trying to build a, pr- a production line then your first iteration uh, will will have a you know you'll find there's something wrong with the, with the design of the machine or you come with the improved design. So you've got to go and change it again. Well, it's a fairly easy process to build the machine and then train the workers to say, this is how you operate this machine. And then, and then so they can operate a, a different machine. But if you get to the point where the machine itself has the intelligence built internally, and what you get is with human, your, your limit of energy input is about the same as an old incandescent light bulb. The amount of actual energy we put in uh, in doing manual labour, tops that at about 90 watts, 100 watts. Okay? Uh, once, and, of course, if you do it for eight hours a day, you're exhausted. Mm. You've got to go home uh, you know, and recuperate. Uh, once you get a machine that can do it, it's just a question of turning up the electricity. Yeah. And you can go 80 watts, 100 watts, 200 so watts. So, in speed theory, it up. this should be great for GDP. It should be helping with economic growth. It helps growth the production side, but it destroys the demand side. Yeah, and that's why. Because, well, yeah, because there's nobody got any jobs that's anymore. Right. So, that's right. So they sort of balances out. I mean, isn't it, aren't we going to get to the stage where we've got all of this technology and we can say we can well we can do so much more, and there'll be great jobs with people saying, well, now we've got you know I've got this this intelligence to assist me in doing my job. I can now use my brain to help it get to the next level so we can do even more. But you can keep on going that way, except for the fact that, yeah, as you say, it, there's it, no one there to buy the stuff. That's right, yeah. And so my, that's one reason, like a, a lot of uh, the modern monetary theory uh, group mm. uh, is in favour of what they call a job guarantee. Yeah. And they're actually opposed to a basic income. And my feeling is that given where technology is going, we're not talking about today, obviously, but you know, if we don't destroy ourselves through climate change, if you, if you extrapolate... A hundred years from where we are now, in terms of the level of intelligence in in, uh, in in artificial intelligence, level of capability to be flexible, 
and retrain a machine, the capacity for the machine to have numerous axes so it can, just like a human, we have six degrees of freedom in our movement. This the same thing for the computers, for the for the robots. Uh, the end product of that is that we, we all uh, process work can be done by machinery, and the middle management, anything except the creative side of middle management, can be done by AI-informed software as well. So you get to the stage where only people can actually invent a new process or you consider a new way of, of doing things end up being people you need to hire. Mm. And that, to me, means mass unemployment, uh, and therefore that undermines the viability of capitalism itself because yeah. as well as producing, you've got to sell. So my my that's one reason I, I you know, okay, I can understand the attitude about you don't want people doing nothing and getting being paid to do nothing. Uh I think you've got to pay people to do something. Well, they're going to go shopping. Yeah, fundamentally shopping, <laughs> painting. You know, but a, a basic income means at least you guarantee there's a yeah. revenue base for those that do innovate. And do well, because yeah, so the only other alternative is, is really is to say, well, okay, we need to stop machines doing stuff. It's which like we need Lutt- to stop progress. Which is the Luddite, which what Luddite, that's where the, the Luddites were those who threw, uh, we have the expression putting a, throwing a, clo- a, a, a clog into the wheels of machinery. That's literally what they did. Yeah. Wooden shoes. They were shown to be wrong, weren't they? Because their fear was that there wouldn't be jobs, and the, which and the and jobs what, emerged. And so. what happened was the growth, see Mar- Marx's idea was that you'd be polarised into the uh, lumpen proletariat and the bourgeoisie, okay? There'd be no middle jobs. In fact, there was a dramatic expansion of the middle jobs. Now, what we're seeing with AI and robotics is something which can eliminate the middle jobs. And to me, that's when you look at where people work these days, um, there's, there's only, you know, of the order of 1% of the population, I'm not saying it's one, but it's on, you know, single digit level of population working in agriculture and advanced economies. It's of the order of 10%, and again, you know, 10, 20% max, working directly in manufacturing in some sense. The other 80% to 90% of the population are working in clerical-style positions inside large organisations, whether they're government or they're private corporations. Uh, That is the layer which is effectively targeted by AI, uh, both in terms of algorithms that can do pattern recognition, that can decide to send out invoices, chase up bills, et cetera, hold a conversation with you over a help desk without you knowing you're not talking to a human. That's that end of AI. And then the other end is the robotics. I can't see the... I can't not see robotics and AI taking over those those positions. Mm. And that then means that that happens, you've got, you no longer have a capitalist economy, you've got a feudal one. But are you with, could, without needing any serfs to produce the output? Yeah. Well, actually, let me give you another challenge to capitalism. If 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 all the smarts in all of this can decipher and interpret data mm. to its nth degree, what about the finance markets? Because there we buy and sell stuff. I mean, okay, we get right well, now see, a lot, I, I, a lot of algorithm-based trades are happening now. Yeah. But we still take a punt. Uh, but what if we, you know, if AI gets as close to perfect interpretation of the markets? It's going to destroy the market. Well, then, then, yeah. <laughs> maybe good riddance. I don't think they're going to get uh, capacity to forecast where the shares are going to go. We should talk about Tesla shares on that front, by the way. Yeah, it? which is, well, yeah, skyrocketed. That's hilarious. Actually, I've got a few friends I know are suffering out of this, and I have absolutely no sympathy for them. But it won't, uh, because they sold short on Tesla yeah, shares. Yeah, right. yeah. That's partly my attitude towards the innovation Musk is bringing but if it, but, it, but, I mean, that, yeah. it, it's it, it, people are making decisions based on, yeah. you know, their own neural network, based yeah. on their own their own experience. Yeah. If, if we all have access to the, the, the same information, the same knowledge, and get, the same behaviours, then it, we're all going to trade in exactly the, set, the same way. Booms and crashes coming out of it certainly won't get away from that syndrome. But, yeah, it's um, the, the potential 
elimination of an enormous part of the work that sustains the current population is there. Mm. And I think even though it, it, it won't happen necessarily today uh, and it won't necessarily happen given what can happen with climate change, if we, if we survive as a species, uh, then at some point, uh, all the production we do has got to be automated and, frankly, given the laws of thermodynamics, got to be off-planet, like I'm talking 400 years from now. Okay? Mm. But um, over that period of time, we have to stop producing stuff on the planet. If we, if we, if we continue from where we are to current population and current level of, of, of uh, energy consumption and so on, we, it's sustainable, can't be done on this biosphere. But it's not happening mm. yet, is it? This, it's not this happening taking, yet, but this, it's the potential. And, and, this, yeah. and this taking away of jobs is not happening yet. I mean, we've, we've got you know, the lowest levels of unemployment in, in the Western world. Mm. Mm. We've had for for quite some time, and yet we've you know we've got all this into artificial intelligence yeah. work and uh, an automation. Well, see, work going on. Looking at, for example, at, at that question, a lot of what's going on right now is uh, people are working in you know delivering take home food to you. The 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 mm. the, the, um, the um, you know Uber Eats and stuff like that. That's people who would have had jobs in a production line or would have had jobs as a, in a, in a. So they found another job, a job that didn't exist before. Yeah, but fact. the thing is, that then now, of course, what's what's happening? I mean, Amazon is trialling already mm. drone delivery of, of, of books. Right, and uh, it'll so be what's to say they won't then find something else? Just as they found that 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 Uber Eats job, mm. what's to say someone it, else it is will, not going to come will, along with something which also has a, it will a requirement happen. for manual labour? And yeah, it will happen to mm. some degree, but I don't think it's going to be enough. To mean that you you can keep you know ninety percent of those who need a job uh, fully employed, and it's also weakening the power. I mean, what you had is if you go back from the nineteen fifties and sixties, you had workers organised into very strong unions, and if they decided to take on the management and get a wage rise, they could threaten to shut down and stop working, and there would be no way to produce the output without the workers there. Now. Um, you, you simply don't have that level of organisation and you say, okay, if you don't want to deliver, we'll, we'll put more money into the drones mm. and develop the technology and you don't, you don't need to have a position at all. So I, I am on the Andy Haldane side on that front. I do think it'll lead to that sort of world. So what about Bill Gates's uh, idea that uh, we have a robot tax that, uh, I mean, this is he, he's being a bit Luddite on this, isn't it, ironically, mm. for a man mm. who's uh, made his career out of technology because he's mm. basically saying, yes, we should tax robots and we use that money to retrain workers who've lost their jobs to robots so mm -hmm. that they move on and, uh, and do something else. But, of course, well, that, that's, there's no that, jobs to retrain for and mm -hmm. his tax is slowing the progress of, yeah. of that automation, then that is Luddite thinking. Yeah, but that's, I mean, what he's actually saying is effectively we need a redistribution mechanism. We mm -hmm. can't rely just upon capitalism and, and generation of profit, wages on one side and profit on the other. What we're saying is that wages are being eliminated. And, and so he's actually saying we need to have a, a social redistribution system, taxation on top, to counteract that effect of the market system. Mm. And that's um, that's good to see people like Bill Gates thinking in that way rather than just being rapacious, let the market rip. But what are and, they retraining us? I guess yeah, if they don't yeah. retrain, then they could have that. Well, see, this this, that, this, that this comes back, this, this come back to why do we work? Mm. You know, And yes, we, we the, the simplicity. Money. Yeah, let's say alive. But if you think about why do work as a species, um, if you go back to early human societies, uh, we did all this stuff because we were part of a community mm. and uh, doing something for the community was a major part of how you got valued. There was a, a sense, an, al an altruism, a sense of altruism in the human species, altruism with competition. Mm. Okay? But that altruistic stuff meant you were valued, 
your sense of self-worth came out of what you did for the community mm. and your regard, other people held you in, also came out of the community. And that's the type of thing with the bonds that create the bonds that are felt in tribal societies. If anybody wants to get a feeling for that, I really recommend reading Nelson Mandela's autobiography, yeah. Long March to Freedom. Long yeah. Road to astonishing, Freedom. yeah. It's astonishing. And in open part, he's talking about what it's like to be raised. the Zosa tribe, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And so what it's like to be a member of the Zosa tribe. And he said he could not imagine any better way to live than being part of that tribe. And what you got was intensity of, of personal relationships in a small tribal community and the big extension of the Zosa tribe as well. But that's what's actually harnessed when you think about it by, mm. by capitalism because we want to, when you work inside a firm, you, to, to some degree, you know, competitive to get to the top of the firm if, if you're ambitious, but you're part of a community and the sense of community is what makes you work. Now, when you, what you think about it, if we wanted to have an ideal human society, we'd want one where we, that same sense of community is what drives our behaviour uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to occur in a factory. And this is no. the people who promote the basic income guarantee rather than job guarantee. Their argument is that not, we're not talking about paying people for doing nothing. We're talking about paying people to do anything. So you give people enough income through a basic income uh, that means that they can decide to do anything they want to do with their time. Mm. And most likely what they're going to do is something which ends up being, you know, organising in a community and doing stuff for fun. Uh, and getting respect out of the art they do, or yeah. you know that that's something sort of for thing. The, this for the betterment of society. Yeah, yeah. Know. And so, but something has to be done, doesn't it? Because I mean, yeah. as, as we talked about, you know, aggregate demand is is going to uh, diminish. Uh, on, on the one side, you've got this ability to create so much more. Yeah. But aggregate demand is going to slip away because there's fewer people seeing, to consume. We're seeing that anyway. So, yeah, mm. Well, we have stagnation right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. how, how much of that is because of this? Well, a large part of it's credit stagnation. We've spoken about before. Yeah. It's because normally credit is part of the essential part of aggregate demand. And in the aftermath of the, the, the debt bubble of, of 2008, we've now got too much debt, too little willingness to take out credit for the borrowers compared to the previous period of growth and from, for banks to lend as well. So it's credit stagnation, but it is also a diminution of aggregate demand. Mm. And you see people trying to explain where credit where stagnation comes from. You get the Larry Summers of the world. They keep on talking about secular stagnation. That's blaming the supply side. Fundamentally, you can summarise secular stagnation by saying the economy slowed down because engineers aren't having enough ideas and parents aren't having enough babies. That's what it comes down to. Mm. Garbage. Yes, yeah. parents aren't having enough babies, quote unquote, compared to previous rates, levels of population growth for OECD nations. Engineers not having enough ideas. I'm not. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've seen rockets land on their backside in recent. Well, day. I mean, we're talking about this technology yeah. De- yeah. sort of evolving so quickly it's that the, it's the fear is it's taking away jobs. Yeah, it's so. the demand side which is falling down. Yeah. So yes, it is partly aggregate demand diminishing, and we're we're seeing you know a slowdown courtesy of that. And it will get more extreme as AI and robotics develop further. So this decade, what, 10 years, we're going to see a fundamental shift on. And we've already seen it. So over the next 10 years. I'd actually go from more like about 20 or 30. Right. I mean, like there's, there's part of AI which we haven't spoken about far, far, which is what the-, the Tell me this right at the end. Yeah, the Kurzweil <laughs> stuff, the idea about AI becoming actually imaginative intelligence, what they call right. the singularity. Yeah. I think that's nonsense. Right. Okay? Uh, the, the, we've the, still got that left for us. We've too. still got that. There's no yet, no feasible way yet to have a computer which feels and has a personality. The the mm. uh, you know the Terminator side of things where. Yeah. You know, what's it, what's it called? Skynet comes along and decides I want to survive. I've got so to I'm always going to have a job is what you're saying. Unfortunately, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, thanks for the You're vote welcome. of confidence, Steve. Uh, that'll do then. We'll I finish you there. I thought you were an algorithm. <laughs> do I sound like an algorithm? <laughs> uh, I need seriously debugging if that's the case. Indeed. Good to talk. We'll catch you again next time. Thank you, man. And look, next time on the Debunking Economics podcast, we're going to ask, who is it who really manages the economy? Is it the central bank or is it the government? They keep blaming each other. So could we solve the problem by putting all kit and caboodle, all responsibility for management of the economy in the hands of one of them? How would that work? We'll look at that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. See you then. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.